This message was presented at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. So welcome, everyone. Um, we're going to start with a word of prayer, and, uh, and then we will greet you um, and talk about ourselves, okay? Let's just bow our heads where we are. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you have blessed us with love for you in our hearts. I pray for your Holy Spirit um, to speak to each one of us and to fill our, our minds, our hearts, and draw us to you, that your name may be glorified through our lives, and that we uh, may seek to lead others to you in this, uh, this world that is called a post-Christian and a post-churched uh, society. Um, guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, hello. I'm wait for my wife to turn on her microphone. Go ahead. Hi, my name is Renee Lemon. And my name is Mike Lemon, and we are from It Is Written Canada. We are the speakers for It Is Written Canada. Now, go ahead. We are both 100% organic, non-GMO, sweet and sour lemon. And Renee is the sweet one. <laughs> we love sharing the message of Jesus with others and have worked in ministry and education in Canada for the past 20 years. And before that, we worked in South Africa as teachers, and I also worked as a pastor during our time that we were there. We recently came to It Is Written Canada six months ago, and before that, we were both teaching at Fountain View Academy for 12 years. 12 years, yes. So we have two daughters. Their names are Joanne and McLean. This was recently taken during Christmas here, and uh, Joanne and McLean love to connect with people. They're both extroverts. Actually, all of us in the family are, which is a nice thing, and uh, we love making connections with people from all walks of life, really, literally. And we have people in our home all the time. It's filled with people. Which so. is wonderful. <laughs> so. Our topic for today is why evangelism matters. We will be addressing the why as well as the how-to components of evangelism. So just to make it very clear to you, let's give you a definition of what evangelism is. If you don't know, evangelism is the spreading of the Christian gospel by public preaching and personal witness. And if you need to take any notes, you'll see along, you can take it with your phone or whatever, and this is being recorded, so you can listen to that afterwards as well. Isaiah 43.10 makes it crystal clear. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. Is that biblical? However, we are finding, I don't know if you know Barna, but Barna is a, a research organization that does statistics on what's happening in cultures throughout the world and the church. And they, in 2019, February 5th, they came out with this article that says their findings, almost half of practicing Christian millennials, that would be you, anyone born from 1980 to 2004 is a millennial. <laughs> so how many of you are millennials? Okay. So it says almost half of practicing Christian millennials say that evangelism is, what is that word? Wrong. It's not saying it's irrelevant. It's saying it's wrong to do evangelism. Mm -hmm. Okay? 
Yeah, so it's a definite no-no, right? And precisely 11 days ago, the following headline appeared in the news. Pope says Christians should never seek to convert unbelievers. Anyone who proselytizes is not a disciple of Jesus. You understand that word proselytizes? To convert. So when we're trying to convert someone to Jesus, he is saying you're not a Christian. You are not a disciple of Jesus. The Pope, Pope Francis went on to say that in front of an unbeliever, the last thing that I have to do is to try to convince him never. So... What are your thoughts? Why do you think this is the trend of Christian thinking? Why do you think these people are really saying? Or maybe you identify with these people. <laughs> and you're saying to yourself, yeah, it, maybe evangelism is wrong. So what are your thoughts? You can talk to us. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, should you share your faith and lead non-believers to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior? What are your thoughts? Go ahead. Correct. That's what they're saying. They're saying that when we do public evangelism, in fact, someone the other day at a Christmas gathering, and he was a church member, he said to me, you, you, how do you do evangelism anymore? There's no longer the days of public evangelism. That was his perception. That this is not, and this is a Seventh-day Adventist church member. So they're not meeting one-on-one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Correct. Yeah, they're saying that you're going to offend people if you do that, and you, you let those people have their truth, and you have your truth, and just become friends with them, and maybe they'll, by osmosis, catch faith, and catch faith in Jesus. Okay? Any thoughts? Why do you think this is happening? Why do you think this is the trend? Yes, sir. This is actually a form of persecution. Is it? Okay. Trying to hold people back. Yeah. Really what is our, our great commission. Very good. Mm-hmm. So it, this is a this is a more subtle form of, of persecution that fits more within the Western mindset. Yes. And so it's it's a more harmonious form of persecution because more a lot of people will buy into it. Right. Whereas they may not be as open to a death decree immediately. Yes. I mean like yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so it's a process of homogenizing people so that they believe harmoniously that it's wrong to share your faith. Right. And that's a form of persecution, as you said, which is really strong language. Yes. Okay. I just, I was thinking, I've been so much evangelism that has been done yeah. that has hurt people. Yes. And I think that, like, name has been given to a lot of Correct. Christian and Christian proselytizing. So yes. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. That's that's mm-hmm. one of the things within this research is that a lot of these people feel like they've been hurt somehow by evangelism. Yeah. Go ahead. Yes. Yes. 
Yes. There is no, well, yeah, I don't believe it, but there is no truth. Yes. So, so if you say, well, I'm going to tell you the truth. Yes. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. It's questionable. Mm -hmm. Yes. Good point. Mm -hmm. Yes, ma'am. Yes. That's right. Yeah. And that's true. This is this is a, a message that's coming from the, the top leader of the world's largest church that's saying don't evangelize. Evangelism is out. Don't do that, right? Don't proselytize. Don't share your faith with other people. You don't do that. Um, one of the things that Barna released was this. I wish I had coined this phrase, but I'm glad they did so that I can quote them. They're, they're saying this. Why is there resistance to evangelism? They said, because we are living in and we are held captive by a digital Babylon. Isn't that an interesting phrase? A digital Babylon. So here's the actual article. It came out in October of last year, just a few months ago, October 23rd. Uh, 2019. So what is, it, what is Babylon? Are there some hot buttons there for you as a Seventh-day Adventist? <laughs> you get the idea of Babylon started with a Tower of Babel, which was set up for the purpose of you save yourself because God said, hey, there's never going to be a flood ever again. And so they said, no, we don't trust God. And so we will build a tower just in case it does flood again, just in case he changes his mind, we'll save ourselves. And we have this. Also, it led to confusion, mm -hmm. right? Confusion of languages. And so Babylon is a, a babel of confusion. It also is connected with Nebuchadnezzar and the whole idea of his you know, self-aggrandizement. But it's also connected with Daniel. And it's interesting that Barna Research, which is not Seventh-day Adventist, say that within this digital Babylon, we have a remnant. That's the actual language that they use. That we have a remnant of true believers who are not buying into this cultural deception. And um, so how is this happening and, and what's happening? It says our accelerated complex culture that we're living in is a digital Babylon. Another reason could be that there is a crisis in authority. Authority figures and authoritative answers are increasingly viewed with suspicion. Mm -hmm. So what is that telling you? You can't trust anyone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> go on to say that this generation has immediate, unlimited access to alternative answers. So why should you trust a, an authority figure? I've seen people, when I say something, they'll check it on their phone. Or they'll go home and get an alternative answer. Oh, that's good for them to say, but I have this person and this person and this person, and it contradicts what they say. I've even had kids in class who have said to me, what you're saying to me doesn't agree with what I'm reading on my computer. <laughs> and so I'm saying to myself, whoa, you know. So let's say, where is this information that you're getting on your computer coming from? And so what are people doing? They're asking questions. They're more interested in questioning than right answers. Mm -hmm. And you got this little illustration on there. It says, question everything but this statement. <laughs> and I think this is important. That we have to, when so, everyone says question everything, maybe we should also question that idea 
that we should question everything. And maybe we should settle on some kind of truth. Otherwise, where are we? We're in the last days. And 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse, sorry, chapter 3, verses 1, 2, 7, says in the last days people will be. And there's a whole list of other things. But one in verse 7 says, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Hmm. Never able to settle down and say, this is the answer. You know, as my grandmother said to me one day, she said, I found the truth. She was searching from church to church to church, and she said, I found the truth. And she told me all about the Sabbath and the state of the dead and all of those other things. And I was just a young kid, and I knew nothing about any of these things. I trusted her because I knew she loved me. And I think that's, a, that's a kind of a key that we have to look mm -hmm. at here. Question everything. Why? <laughs> Another reason could be that um, we are suffering from a profound sense of alienation from institutions and traditions that give structure and meaning to our lives. So there's no structure and no meanings to lives anymore, mm. right? There's no structure in the home. People are, children are on their devices until all hours of the morning because they're living in the virtual reality, not in the real world. Yeah. Yeah. And instant gratification becomes a part of that alienation. Mm -hmm. You can get whatever you need now, right? You're unhappy with it. You say to your parents, I need, right? And they give it to you. And this mm -hmm. is not training a generation towards trusting anything, really, or being more mature in their thinking. Mm -hmm. So we are pushed by the tyranny, you understand the word tyranny, of now. So in other words, it's like we are slaves to now. We are being overloaded with choices now. And there's more choices than you can consume. Mm -hmm. And so you're just consuming, consuming, and consuming. And people have more fun things to do than ever before in the history of the world. And they are more depressed. Mm -hmm. That's kind of scary, isn't it? The irony of depression, we have so much more fun things. You should be happier but we're not. Mm -hmm. Humor has now become the best weapon, making snarky cool and cynical smart. There is an emoji for every mood and a gif for every moment. So we're not taking life seriously anymore, right? How can you, if you cannot take life seriously, how can you take the gospel message seriously? Mm -hmm. You can't, right? And every, everything is mocked. Everything mm -hmm. is mocked nowadays. And so, yeah, there, humor is, is used as a weapon. It is. And mm -hmm. there are even gifs about Christianity, <laughs> about Seventh-day Adventism, about Jesus, right? It's just... Everything is mocked and everything is satirized and everything is, nothing is sacred anymore. Mm -hmm. And if you can make everything humorous, then there's no seriousness. And we're just laughing and laughing and laughing, but we're not happy. And uh, so something is missing, obviously. The typical 15 to 23-year-old spends nearly 20 times more uh, more hours per year using screen-driven media than taking in spiritual content. Think about that. How is the gospel going to have a chance to land when we don't pick up our Bibles? Mm -hmm. 
Um, I saw a study that talked about if you open up your Bible once a week, the chances of it doing anything to you are virtually zero. If you're reading it, and that means in church. So if you just get one exposure to the Bible a week, your change that's going to happen in you is nothing. Twice a week, same thing. Three times a week, you get a little bit of a blip. Four times a week, they say it spikes. Something happens to a person when they're reading the Bible five times or four times a week and more. Mm -hmm. So there's something powerful about the Word of God. But are we even giving God a chance? Because what is the, the expression that Ellen White uses? By, say it with me, by beholding we become changed. Or in other words, what we're looking at will change us. Mm -hmm. And that comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15. It says, but we all, with open face, beholding as, it, as in a glass the glory of the Lord. And I don't know if that's the glass of your screen. <laughs> I mean, if it's a good app, maybe, and it's a Bible app, are changed into the same image. And that works both ways, doesn't it? Whatever you're looking at is going to change you. Change the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. This is spiritual. This is spiritual. And when we're in the spirit of the world, we're getting changed by that spirit. Mm -hmm. But when we're in the spirit of the Lord, of course, he can change us, and he will. Richard Freed, who's a child psychologist, says this, Quietly using screens and phones for entertainment has become the dominant activity of childhood. How many of you have children here? Okay, so speaking to the mommies and daddies now, I know we have children too. And when our daughters were younger and they had friends playing over, when they were quiet, they were doing something wrong, right? <laughs> Children should not be quiet, right? They should be, they should be playing and having fun, and you should be able to hear them. And yet, this has become a norm, right? A quiet child is not necessarily a good child, mm. right? So. And so, what do we do? This is a pacifier, by the way. This is a pacifier. The problem with that is if you use that to babysit your kids, you'll pay for it one day, mm -hmm. okay? And it might not be right away, but it will come back to bite you, and they will not listen to you or your authority. So you have to decide what you're going to do with this very, very, very powerful device, which has a lot of technology in it. There was a kid walking one by, I, I just want to tell you this story. So he was walking with his father, true story, I heard the, the grandfather tell the story. He saw this phone on the wall. It was a pay phone. You know what a pay phone is? It's an archaic thing, okay? He saw this thing. He says to his dad, what's that? And he says, it's a pay phone, son. A phone? So what games can you play on it? <laughs> and his father said, you can't play games on that. So what apps can you download on it? You can't do that. Well, what is it good for? You can just make phone calls. And he's like, let's go shopping. Wasn't interested. Like, it's like, I don't get it. So some people say, this is just an updated phone. No, you're wrong, okay? This is way more than that, okay? This is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We're in trouble, okay? And if you don't treat it carefully, you will be programmed by it. 
another story we um, we just recently, like I mentioned before, moved to um, Oshawa six months ago, and we both went. We had we've been trying to find dentists and doctors and all of that. We find this dentist, lovely lady, and she has two younger. Um, young children, and she was telling us one of her um, patients, he's, um, he, she was asking him some advice about, so what, you know, what, where should I travel, what should I do with my kids? And so he said, no, stay in Canada, you know, travel in Canada. And so he said, I want to tell you something. He said, I have uh, two grandsons, a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old, and um, I gave them the opportunity to go travel with me to the Yukon. It was in the summer, and they were going to do a whole camping trip from the Yukon. And um, it cost a fortune, because apparently it's very expensive to travel and to fly to the Yukon. So it was going to cost this grandfather about forty dollars to $50,000 mm-hmm. for them to do this trip. They were going to be away for... Two weeks. Two, yeah, two weeks. Mm-hmm. And so he invited his grandson sons to come with him. And so he said, but there's one condition. You come with me, but you are not allowed to bring your iPads. You're not allowed to bring your iPads at all. You just come. And they said, no, we can't. If we... And so he said, if you bring your iPads, you're not coming. And those 10 and 12-year-old sons never went on the trip because they refused to leave their iPads at home. And the grandfather wouldn't budge. Can you imagine that? So the two of us love to run, and we love to go outside. We even walk. Like, you know, we were always active, you know, just doing things. So we came to Toronto. That's where Oshawa is in the area. And so we're walking, and we're doing these trails. And they're beautiful trails, beautiful trails. And there's beautiful parks. And when I was a kid, I was always outside. Guess how many kids we see outside? Zero. Zero kids. The only things, the only people we see outside in parks are... Um, married people with little, little kids pushing them in their prams and things like that. I mean, this is craziness. Like, I'm looking, where are the kids? You know where they are? They're in their phone. They're at home. This is the only activity they're doing. That's not an activity, by the way. Okay? Mm -hmm. Well, I guess moving your thumbs is an activity, sort of. Okay. Living in this digital Babylon makes individuals satisfied and enchanted with the notion that God is non-existent or at best passive in their world, that Christianity is an oppressive system and that religious institutions are composed of a bunch of self-serving hacks. So they believe that somehow we, would ta- we are taking their fun away. Right by taking away these devices, look at this word enchantment. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's bewitched, right? Enchanted. So we're talking about a spirit here. We're not talking about something that. Oh yes, you have a lot of people who are behind the scenes, engineers, social engineers, people who know how to program and code so that they can get you hooked. And so when you're picking up this device and you think. Oh, it's just fun. It's a way of communicating. It's a way of socializing. Uh Uh-uh. It's more like a slot machine. You're gambling, okay? And so what are we looking at? We're saying that Jesus is offering you life and that this is not where it's found. And, and, And there is something so much better. Look at this. I had to throw this statement in here, but 
I read this to my wife today, and she was like, oh, that's frightening. So I mm -hmm. wanted to share it with you. For thousands of years, this is from Selected Messages, book two, uh, 352 to 353. I'm saying this for the people who are listening on tape. Um, for thousands of years, Satan has been experimenting upon the properties of the human mind, and he has learned to know it, what's that? Well. By his subtle workings in these last days, he is linking the human mind with his own, imbuing it with his thoughts. And he is doing this work in so deceptive a manner that those who accept his guidance know not that they are being led by him at his will. The great deceiver hopes so to confuse the minds of men and women that none but his voice will be heard. So scary. <laughs> so when you, whenever you try and, and take something from someone who's addicted to that something, they tend to get angry. Mm -hmm. And whenever you mention anything about it to them, there's total resistance. And so we're talking about how do we do this and how did Jesus do it in his day when there was serious darkness in the world? Mm -hmm. Serious darkness. How did he do it so that people fell in love with him and were able to let go of the world? Ellen White said this in her day. She didn't have devices to deal with. Okay. Night after night, I am unable to sleep because of this burden resting upon me in behalf of the unworn cities. Night after night, I am praying and trying to devise methods by which we can enter these cities and give the warning message. Why? Why is there a world to be warned and saved, and we are to go east and west and north and south and work intelligently for the people all about us? As we undertake this work, we shall see the salvation of God, and encouragement will come. So this is an encouraging message. Mm -hmm. This is not a hopeless message. No. So God is on your side, and his spirit is on your side. And no many, mm -hmm. how many forces of evil there are, we have a desire to find our rest in Christ. Mm -hmm. To find our, and we're not going to, we're going to be restless until we find our rest in him. Mm -hmm. And so our hearts are, are going in that direction. So we're going to tell you a little bit about our daughter who went on a, went over to Australia. She's been there now for four years and she's in her fourth year of university. She's studying to be a teacher, but before that, before that, she decided to go and do the ARISE program, which started in February. So she did the ARISE program February 2016. It was a four-month course. And then after she graduated from that, they asked her to come back and to be a Bible worker. And so she was a Bible worker for seven months. And she did door-to-door, -door, went door-to-door. -door, and she was also helping to plant a church. Mm. And... She was quite successful. God led her. She's very um, magnetic when it comes to people, okay? Joanne has to know everybody or she knows nobody, okay? <laughs> so if she doesn't know everyone in this room by the end of this meeting, she feels like, oh, I didn't meet that person, right? She just, like, she loves people. So she's in her neighborhood, and this is where I took this picture when I was there. I was doing some talking in that area. And so I said, Joanne, you're surrounded by these kids. She says, yeah, and we're playing together. And she gives them Bible studies. 
And of course, then the church gets filled up, this little church that they planted. And people loved her. And she really went door to door and gave Bible studies to people. And she would phone us and she would be in tears and she would say, these people are so trapped. They're so in darkness. They're lonely. They're crying. They're in addictions. The kids are, are addicted to, to things. And they just sit there. Like, there's no activity going on. And she'd get people, kids, onto the street. Mm -hmm. So this is one home that she went to. So we'll much brokenness, she would cry. People are hurting, and they're broken and suffering, right? But she went to this one door, and there was. she was speaking to the mommy. The mommy answered the door. And then she was asking the mommy questions, different questions. They had five different questions that they asked. And all of a sudden, the two little girls, her two daughters came up there too, and they said, we want you to ask us questions too. And so Joanne changed the questions to accommodate the little kids. And then it came to the question where she said to the mother, would you like to have Bible studies? And the mother said, no. But the one little girl, Olivia, said, I want to study the Bible. And so Joanne looked at the mommy, and the mom said, you know, my husband and I have decided that our kids are, we would not like to give them their own choice. And so if my daughters want to study the Bible, then you may study the Bible with them. And so it was amazing, because then she had to get Bibles, because these girls had never seen Bibles before. She had to teach them how to use the Bibles. But we serve such an awesome God, because she was with these two young children, going to their homes, giving them Bible studies. And so where do you think the parents were? They were right there. Yeah. So God is so good. So I went with her to these different places, and they would call her the church lady. <laughs> she's only a teenager. She was going like, she's 19 at the time. And, uh, and so she bought these kids Bibles. Also, the older sister started joining them. Uh, this is one of them, went to church, Olivia. And uh, this lady in the middle, her name is Angela. You can see that she likes to play basketball. She's got a Chicago Bulls shirt on. And um, Angela's a single mother. She had a father or husband who was a father to her three children, three boys. Three boys, And yeah. uh, he was always addicted to something, always kind of out of his head and very, uh, very aggressive man. Yeah. And, um, and so Angela was on her own. And Joanne got to know and became friends with Angela, started teaching her the Bible, and, and, uh, and Angela loved it. And one day she came, oh, we'll tell you that later. But anyway, so Angela <laughs> ends up becoming a Seventh-day Adventist, uh, baptized into that little church that they started. Um, so she was one of their converts. Not only did she become a Seventh-day Adventist, but she joined the Arise program. She became a Bible worker. Mm -hmm. so, here's a, so here's someone who is completely, you know, oblivious to Christianity, becomes a Seventh-day Adventist, and now is evangelizing others. And now she's studying to be a nurse. She's in her third year or yeah, second or third year of nursing. Yeah, College with yeah. Joanne. And yeah. she's got her three, three children. And so God has really blessed her. Um, so here's a big question. What did Joanne experience? One word, joy. God could have reached his object in saving sinners without our aid. How can God reach people? Does he really need us? How can he reach people? How can he reach people without us? Give us some answers. Through angels? Through mm -hmm. what? Miracles? Mir through donkeys? <laughs> Rocks. Yeah. Rocks. And? 
through what? Nature, Nature. through mm -hmm. visions and dreams. But mm -hmm. God gave us a work to do. Why? I like this quote but from Desire at, of Ages. Yeah. But in order for us to develop a character like Christ, we must share in his work. In order to enter into his joy, the joy of seeing souls redeemed by his sacrifice, we must participate in his labors for their redemption. So God wants us to be co-workers with him. So if you're suffering from depression, get out and work. <laughs> Ask the Lord to give you that spirit of joy, his Holy Spirit, and to give you love for Jesus so that it just overflows. And when you share it with others, you will experience joy. Mm -hmm. It's guaranteed. This is what you were wired to do. I, I love this. Uh, and by the way, the chapter in, in Steps of Christ that this is, we're going to give you a couple of quotes from there, is called The Life and the Work. Okay? So read it. It's really good. It, it says, our Savior's joy, Jesus's joy, our Savior's joy was in the uplifting and redemption of fallen men. He found joy in lifting people up. So angels, go ahead. So angels are ever engaged in working for the happiness of others. This is their joy. So this was the joy of angels, to work for the happiness of others. God might have committed the message of the gospel and all the work of loving ministry to the heavenly angels, but... In his infinite love, he chose to make us co-workers with himself, with Christ and the angels, that we might share the blessing, the joy, the spiritual uplifting, which results from this unselfish ministry. So why does God give this to us? Because it's good for us. Mm -hmm. We benefit. This is for our benefit. We want to give you a couple of more quotes from the same chapter. It's so powerful. And, and just so that you see this, this is so powerful. It's really good. The only way, that's a pretty comprehensive statement. The only way to grow in grace is to be disinterestedly or unselfishly doing the very work which Christ has enjoined upon us. To enlarge to the extent of our ability in helping, sorry, engage. And the, the extent of our ability in helping and blessing those who need the help that we can give them. Strength comes by exercise. Activity is the very condition of life. The quote goes on. Those who endeavor to maintain Christian life by passively accepting the blessings that come through the means of grace and doing nothing for Christ are simply trying to live by eating without working. And in the spiritual as in the natural world, this always results in degeneration and decay. Mm. That is the law, right? I, I, I must so, say, when I became or started attending a Seventh-day Adventist church, I loved to sit on the balcony <laughs> as far away from the activity as possible and just absorb like a sponge. And I thought that was the most comfortable place I could ever be. Mm -hmm. It was. It was comfortable. But God, you know, he comforts those who are afflicted, but he also afflicts those who are comfortable. <laughs> and so the Holy Spirit came along and afflicted me and said, you have to share this with other people, right? And I couldn't help it. I just had to share it. And I would talk about it. And eventually I was talking so much about it. I was studying to, I was actually studying pre-med. I was studying to be a doctor. And the other 
guys who are studying theology said, you sound like a preacher. You should study some of our classes. So I said, I'll, I'll take some of those classes. And then eventually they said, why don't you go into the ministry? And I was like, ah, I never thought of that before. And I said, let's give it a try. So I went into the ministry, and it was the most enjoyable adventure of my life. It really is. I would recommend it. Highly recommend it. The quote continues, a man who would refuse to exercise his limbs would soon lose all power to use them. Thus, the Christian who will not exercise his God-given powers not only fails to grow up into Christ, but he loses the strength that he already had. So here's the big question. If I, you listening to the question? If I don't go to work to make a difference for Jesus, will anyone be lost? Who? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Me. <laughs> Guaranteed. Mm -hmm. Guaranteed. This is all for me. This is all for you. God has given you a work to do for your sake because you will grow by doing it. This isn't like, oh, I can't do this work and, you know, Jesus is wringing his hands. Oh, if you don't go to work, who's going to do it? No. He's giving you the work. He can do it himself. And he can get the mm -hmm. work done, and he will. But he, can, he uses us to hasten his soon coming. So the real question that we want to answer is why. Why did Joanne go and do this? And what is our purpose? Why is this irrelevant? Is this even relevant anymore? So why did Jesus do evangelism? What was Jesus' purpose? Can you answer that question? Yes. 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 Mm -hmm. Very good. Yes. Mm -hmm. His example. Yes. Um, he was trying to restore the image that was lost. Yes. And the image of his father. Yes. So as, you know, as he evangelized and shared with us, yes. he was giving us a better picture of his humanity. Yes. Mm -hmm. Very good. I, of let his me give character, you a, right? Let me give you a Bible mm -hmm. verse that says exactly what this gentleman back here says. He says, for, this is Jesus saying, he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So to seek is an activity. This doesn't happen by osmosis. It doesn't happen by sitting still. This is something you have to actively do. You have to actively do it. Look at this from Desire of Ages. I think this is encompasses everything in this one statement, and yet it's so accessible. It says that Jesus was possessed of one purpose. He lived to bless others. Does that reflect the character of his father? Mm -hmm. Yes. Does that reflect the, the way that you were created? Mm -hmm. You were created to bless others. You were created and you're most happy when you are blessing mm -hmm. others. You are most joyful when you're giving. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yet, the, what is the, the motto of heaven? Ellen White says to give, give. But the motto of Satan and of hell is to get, get. Which is the motto of the shopping mall. <laughs> Matthew 9 verse 35 says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. 
What do you think Jesus did more, teach or heal? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ellen says that very clearly. How does that, how, yes, go ahead, sir. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Yes. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Great. Yes. Yeah. There, uh, probably about 20 years ago, I was sitting in a meeting and someone was reading all these quotes off the board from Ellen White saying, in the last days, people are not going to listen to the word of God. They're going to listen to the right arm of the gospel, right? Which is the health message. And so I thought at that time, I'm going to give up preaching, I'm going to give up teaching, and I'm going to become a nurse. (laughs) I'm going to go back and study medicine and even go on and become a doctor. And then I prayed about that, and the Lord said, use your talents that you have right now, right here, where you are. So I was at Fountain View Academy, and I started a program (laughs) soon after that. That wasn't 20 years ago. That was like 12 years ago. And I started something called 18 Days of Health and Fitness. And I started to share this with my students. Some of them are right here, and they're guinea pigs of this. Okay? <laughs> what I started to realize is that we, even if those, those who become doctors, they don't like being doctors because they're just prescribing medicine all the time. Are they really healing people? And they start questioning that, right? And so I started to realize, wait, healing is much more holistic than that. And when you're healing people, it can be with a word, with a hug, with a touch, with a closeness. Mm-hmm. And there are times where you pray with people and you do see healing happening. Alicia. Well, many times we think that these are the physical. Yes. But always, like, depression is a disease. Yes. Um, anxiety is a disease. Yeah. There are many, like, mental diseases. Yeah. I'm a nursing student. Um, but we're just starting with physical diseases now. But yeah. there's spiritual diseases, there's mental diseases, everything. Yeah. So it doesn't mean that we have to heal or heal physical yeah. diseases. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So holistically, you are a healer if you're connected with Jesus. You really are. And you can bring healing to people that a medical doctor who has done seven years cannot bring. I'm not saying they're not doing healing. But I'm just saying you have a power that this is a, a, not a power of talk. This is, this is a, not a message of just talk. This is a message of power, of true power. Mm-hmm. That when you connect with Jesus, we're going to talk really about that and we, we want to get onto that really good verse example. 36 says when he saw the crowds he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd then he said to his disciples the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few therefore pray earnestly to the lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest so it's not just about us doing evangelism, it's us leading other people to do evangelism. Mm-hmm. Because he's saying, we look and we say, oh, no one's interested. No mm-hmm. ways. Jesus looks and he says, there are a plenty of people who, who want, who are hungering and thirsting. And, and we need to be an army of workers. Mm-hmm. We need to be laboring for those people. So how do we do evangelism in a world where social scientists tell us that we are now living in an unchristian and unchurched society, a world where people do not see any relevance in Christianity or in attending church. No relevance. Big word is authenticity. 
Authenticity means you have to be real. People want to see Christians who are the real deal. That means we need to be connected with Christ. That's mm -hmm. our first work. Mm -hmm. We cannot make what we are not, right? If we are not connected to Christ, yeah. we cannot do anything, right? We cannot make what we are not. In a post-modern uh, post culture, people are more impressed by what they see as a guide to truth than what they hear. So our actions are going to speak louder than words, right? So the first principle is be authentic. The second principle is be relational. According to the Talking Jesus research, over 60% of people coming to faith have come to the faith through the influence of friends and family. Having unchurched friends and being a good neighbor is an essential part of the solution. So we want to be crystal clear about something. When it comes to evangelism, there is no such thing as one size fits all. Jesus had different approaches with different people. When it came to the woman at the well, he talked to her and he had a different approach than he did with Nicodemus. Mm-hmm. He also took a completely different approach with Peter and with John. Mm -hmm. And although they were both rich, he had a different approach with Zacchaeus than he did with the rich young ruler. Mm -hmm. So what we're saying is trust that God is going to, but how did he do evangelism? In other words, our goal is to look at what is Christ's method of reaching people. And you're going to quote it, right? Very mm -hmm. good. And where is it found? Ministry of healing. Three-step mm -hmm. process. And this is worth memorizing if you haven't, but some have, and that's great, mm -hmm. okay? Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. So quote it with us. The first thing. The, the Savior mingled, mingled with, with men as one who desired their, their good. good. See the first thing? Yeah, you need to mingle. You need to get close to. <laughs> You're not close to. You just can't win them. Secondly, he, he showed, showed his sympathy, sympathy for, for them, them ministering to their needs, needs and, and won their confidence. And thirdly, then he bade them follow me. So a 10-minute conversation is probably not going to lead to conversion. It mm -hmm. might, but are you close enough first? Mingle, meet their needs, and then share. Yes. Yes, it is. Yes. 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 Mm -hmm. Very good. That's a good and, point. And it's not that we're just going in with an agenda to save them. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And it's not friendship evangelism. It's friendship. Exactly. You mm -hmm. get what I'm saying? Yes. They will see that you have an agenda. Very good. And you're not authentic just because you want to be their friend. Yes. You will never win your Absolutely. Very that good. That is so true. Very good. Go ahead. Social media, like the marketing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 Very good. Very good, Victoria. Go ahead. Yeah. 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 
those yeah. many hours at this time and we don't bring this. Yeah. Shake it up here. Yeah. I was thinking in my head, why would we just keep doing this because it's benefit? Well, people want a relationship, not a program, right? And and when mm -hmm. we're always program, 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 mm -hmm. we're in trouble. We're mm -hmm. looking for someone else to do it. Mm -hmm. It's not someone else. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Right. True. True. When you know that that may not get you anywhere, it may get you somewhere. Yeah. And you're like, they're paying me. Yeah. 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 It was so hard for Joanne because she was not. A, a theology student, but there was a theology student who was working the same area, and he wasn't getting any Bible context, and she was getting lots of Bible context. But it was like it, this comparison animal is horrible, and mm -hmm. and and numbers things drives us crazy. Mm -hmm. So we want to look at a, at a variety of different approaches. Go ahead, sir. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, very good. Yeah, Thank that's, you. That's good. So I think this principle goes with what all of you have said and just summarize it nicely. It says, initially, people are, not, are looking for connection and not correction, right? Okay. You resonate with that. That's good. But we think we're making connections. <laughs> okay. So... They are looking for someone to listen and not someone who has all the right answers. And so when people think, oh, I don't have enough information, I don't have enough knowledge, mm -hmm. hey, who does, mm -hmm. right? They've got all the knowledge they need and all the information, they can look it up themselves. Mm -hmm. What they need is a connection mm -hmm. with real, living, loving people who mm -hmm. are there to listen to them. John 1 verse 38 says, what do you seek? And they say to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated teacher, where are you staying? So they're asking Jesus where he's staying, right? So don't you think it's a little bit forward? What if you meet some stranger in the mall and they ask you, where is your house, <laughs> right? Where are you staying? Like, you would like, um, I don't think we're close like that, <laughs> you know? Like, you know, maybe we can meet somewhere else. Yeah. But that's not what Jesus said. He said to them, come and see, right? They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. So there's a connection going on there, right? So Jesus was open. He did not say to them, come and listen. He said, come and see. There is a big difference there. Because when you're saying, come and listen, it's like, sit down and I'm going to tell you what you need. But he was being relational. So let your relationships speak louder than your words. And people will see the truth. They'll see Jesus. Mm -hmm. So we want to tell a story as quickly as we can. And we've got yeah. limited time. So Hopefully we can we're tell We're running it. out of time. Rosaria Butterfield was a, uh, a, a university professor. professor she was in the English department and women's studies at Syracuse University. And if there was anyone she hated, it was Christians. 
She thought that they were narrow-minded and she could never understand how anyone would want to be a Christian, especially an, an evangelical Christian. And her secular thought did not mesh with any students who were Christians and uh, she was just liberal in her thinking. Her lesbian lifestyle caused her to see Christians as vulgar people, even dangerous people, and she was most frustrated by the fact that Christians would not leave consenting adults alone. So she decided to write a book about the hatred that Christians would show towards the LGBT community, which she was a part of. And she started writing articles, and she started by reading the Bible. She wanted to show how this was a book of hate literature. And so that was her objective. And she started by writing a newspaper article in her local newspaper. And it was called Her War Against Stupid. And in response, she received a box full of hate mail and another box full of fan mail. And she also received a letter from a pastor by the name of Ken Smith. And this man was kind. He was inquiring. He wasn't hateful. He wasn't on her side either. He did not argue with her article. Instead, he asked her to question some of her presuppositions. His arguments were intelligent. And on top of that, he said, please come and I, we invite you to have supper with my wife and I. So she sat in her van outside of his house wondering should she go in or not. And she decided to go in, and he would become her research guinea pig. Because he knew so much about the Bible, she would learn from him, she wouldn't have to pay him, and she could mock him. After their very first meal with Rosaria, she had a God up for two things. Because this is what she thought they were going to do. They were going to share the gospel with her and tell her that she had to give her heart to Jesus. Right, And the second thing was that they were going to invite her to go to church. But they didn't do either one of these. Mm -hmm. And she was so perplexed. She was completely perplexed. She kept on coming back Thursday after Thursday after Thursday and having meals with these people. She didn't only have meals with them. She called it the cult house. <laughs> She would mock them in front of them. She would mock them to her students and her university colleagues. She would mock them to her, her live-in lover lady that she was uh, staying with. And, and she thought these people were crazy until she started singing hymns. And her, her lesbian lover looked at her and said, what are you doing? <clears throat> I'm just exercising my vocal cords. <laughs> this went on for two years. And eventually, it didn't feel like friendship evangelism, but it became a friendship. She had made a friendship with um, Pastor Ken and his wife, Floy. They didn't only become friends, but Ken and Floy welcomed her gay friends over their house. She went, they went to her activities with her lesbian friends. And she's, they started to read her stuff. And they, but one thing they didn't do, they accepted her, but they did not approve of her mm -hmm. and her lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And this is an important truth, right? You can accept someone as a friend without approving of everything they do. 
Acceptance is not the same as approval. Can you see the difference? We need to get that right. This is in Desire of Ages, page 462. Men hate the sinner while they love the sin. Whoa, that hits hard. But Christ hates the sin but loves the sinner. Mm -hmm. This will be the spirit of all who follow him. Christian love is slow to censor, slow to correct, right? Quick to discern penitence, ready to forgive, to encourage, to set the wanderer in the path of holiness and to stay their, his feet therein. Mm -hmm. So we want to give you a quick illustration. Our daughter Joanne, she's in Australia, as we said. She joined a CrossFit gym and she started exercising. She wanted to become fit and she got very fit in this CrossFit gym. And she's telling me about, me about it every day and we're doing FaceTime. And she started telling me this and I wrote it down what she said. She said to me, Daddy, if only my church could be like my CrossFit community. People hold me accountable. I was like, what? I have to write this down. I'm going to write this down because I want to share this. Is it okay? She said, yeah, go ahead. She said, when I miss a practice or I'm not there, they will call me and say, hey, where were you yesterday? Or At ask her the very next day. And she said those questions made her feel like she mattered. Right. She says, I love this community. I love the fact that we are all struggling together and supporting one another, correcting each other's form and telling each other that we are not doing the exercises right. Think about that in terms of the church or their form is incorrect or they are overdoing it. Can you imagine if we were that honest with each other? so that you actually loved one another so much, you trusted one another that you could be corrected and you weren't offended? Mm -hmm. That's what she was saying. I was like, wow, that is powerful. Mm -hmm. So this is from Acts of the Apostles. It says, to hate and reprove sin and at the same time to show pity and tenderness for the sinner is a difficult attainment. The more earnest our own efforts to attain to holiness of heart and life, the more acute will be our perception of sin and the more decided our disapproval of any deviation from the right. We must guard against undue severity toward the wrongdoer. But we must also be careful not to lose sight of the exceeding sinfulness of sin. There is a need of showing Christ-like patience and love for the erring one, but there is also danger of showing so great toleration for his error that he will look upon himself as undeserving of reproof and will reject it as uncalled for and unjust. Do you get that? Mm. You need Christ-like love to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And this is the challenge. So what happened to Rosaria? She got the message at Ken and Floyd's dining table that she was a sinner in need of a savior, and she accepted Jesus as her savior and her Lord. She left her lesbian lover and became a conservative Christian who is now married to a pastor, and she believes that homosexuality is a sin, but so is homophobia. Is that huge or what? If you want to read about her story, you can read her first book that talks about this, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, uh, an English professor's journey into the Christian faith. Um, 
And this is really what it's about in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. It says, and this is from the Amplified Version, Are you actually unaware or ignorant of the fact that God's kindness leads you to repentance? That is, to change your inner self, your old way of thinking. Seek his purpose for your life. And that is exactly what happened to mm -hmm. her. But it took two years mm -hmm. of every single week putting up with the abuse of this lady and yet at the same time loving her and telling her, look, you have these opinions and you have those views, but have you considered Jesus? Mm -hmm. And being persistent mm -hmm. in doing that and praying but for her. That's not the end of the story. Yeah. Rosaria and her husband, Kent, found the Christian church to be a very lonely place for new believers. They were feeling lonely in church, right? So they decided to open up their home to their neighborhood. They sent out flyers advertising that every Thursday evening, everyone and anyone was welcome to come to their house for soup and bread or beans and rice and sing hymns Study the Bible and pray. And she made it very clear. And she read, wrote this book, if you want to read about it, it's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And she calls it Practicing Radically Ordinary Hospitality. Her, her main thrust is that we have a crisis of loneliness in the church and in the world. A crisis of loneliness. That's why people need connections. And you can offer that. And you, people are, are hungering and thirsting for that. Mm -hmm. There's so many books that are written now, and I love to read, and my students know that. And they're telling us one thing, that the depression we're seeing in society is the product of a lonely society. Mm -hmm. People are not connecting with people anymore. Yeah. And it's, it's not pills that are going to bring them healing. Mm -hmm. It's connection and love. No vital connections. So her main purpose is to meet strangers and turn them into neighbors and then turn neighbors into family of God. So she has not only done this, she has adopted four children. <laughs> um, she has shared everything, meals, her car. She even gave a van away. They give clothes away. They visit people in jails. And she just connects, connects, connects. She doesn't, the only app she has is an app that connects her with her neighborhood. And the only pictures of food that she takes pictures of and sends are those that she is going to share with her neighborhood. <laughs> so there's, there's a really big difference in this lady's life. So when people see... See, you are not afraid to open your home to potential strife. They learn to see your authenticity. We need to make sure our relationships are stronger than the words we use. She says that whenever she opens up her home, she knows there could be safety issues. <laughs> there mm -hmm. could be people getting offended. But number one, she's opening it up to spiritual warfare. She says, guaranteed, there's going mm -hmm. to be spiritual warfare. And someone's going to get hurt. But she's ready for that. Why? Because she grew up in a, in a home that was so savagely violent and perverted. And she wondered to herself if there was anyone in her neighborhood who could help her. And no one ever came forward. She mm -hmm. said she's not going to do that for the people in her neighborhood. Mm -hmm. She wants to connect with them. 
So how do you feel about Rosaria and her husband and how they are opening up their home? Would you be able to do this? And what would be some of the potential drawbacks? Any thoughts? We don't want to use up too much of your time. We're almost finished here. Any question? Any concerns that you would see with what she's doing? Right it's right on. Good. Thank you. Yes. I'm not really directly answering the question, but maybe as a single person yeah. that yeah. doesn't have a husband yeah. or something like that, yeah. you want to be able to yes. welcome people into your home yeah. and have safety concerns. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important. For small children. For small children. Mm-hmm. She has these small children. And this, this is a quote that really guides us, and we've quoted it so many times in the past and with our students even. It's from Fundamentals of Education, page 280 and 281. It says, if we wish to do good to souls, our success with these souls will be in proportion to their belief in our belief in and appreciation of them. Mm-hmm. Did you get that? Do people believe that you believe in them? You will be successful if they do. So I just want to ask you a couple of questions. How often? How often would you do something like this? Think for yourself. Well, I would do that once a year. I would do it maybe twice a year. Maybe I would do it four times a year, once a quarter, or maybe once a week, <laughs> once every two months, once a week. I mean, this is what they do. They do it once a week. And why would you do that? I think that's a big question. Why would you do something like this? Mm-hmm. So she has two reasons. She says she knows that people are either suffering from addiction or suffering from abuse. Mm -hmm. She knows that. She says in her community, people are coming. And they may not be sober or safe today, but she keeps inviting, keeps inviting, keeps inviting, and one day they'll be ready. Mm -hmm. And then they show up because they know. So we want to give you a couple of other suggestions. What else can we do? Number one, we can pray. Start every interaction with prayer, and it doesn't have to be out loud. It can be just in your own heart, praying, because you're doing something spiritual. And mostly pray that God will give you ears to listen, right? To listen and to ask questions. Scriptures tell us that everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. This is our challenge to you. And if you want to take up this challenge, to pray. This is a challenge that I took up many, many years ago. I heard a pastor uh, say this, and and I said, yes, I want that. He said, every day, ask God to give you opportunities and the drive to make a specific difference for him in the life of at least one person. Mm -hmm. In the life of at least one person. So you can choose that every single day, and God will lead people to you. Mm -hmm. He really will lead people to you. Remember that all meaningful relationships start with a conversation and not a presentation. Right? Joanne listened to her friend Angela one day. She was, went to do a Bible study with Angela. And when she got there, Angela was beside herself. She was in tears because of her ex-husband that was very abusive. And she was having a rough time. And so Joanne just put the Bible study away, and she just listened. It was very hard for her to do that because she had spent hours of preparation on the Bible study that she was going to present, right? But she had to put it aside, and she just listened to Angela. She had sat on the phone with me preparing that Bible study for days. And then when I phoned her, I said, how did the Bible study go? She said, I didn't give it. 
I'm like, what? <laughs> she said, I'm sorry, Daddy, but I couldn't. She was crying. <laughs> and I was like, you did the right thing. Yeah. Right? You can't be sharing the gospel and trying to save someone. They're like crying like crazy about something else. They're not even hearing you. Right? She was wise enough to do that. I want to finish with a real quick story that, that happened to, my, to our, our, well, my wife's parents. Take your time. <laughs> Conversion usually doesn't happen after a 10-minute conversation. God is infinitely more patient than we are. So I was born and raised in South Africa. My parents are Dutch Reformed. Mike and I have been married now for almost 25 years. And we immigrated to Canada, and they would come and visit. They would come with us to church, but there was no interest. right? And just recently, last year, they came to us in December and stayed until March of last year. And when they came to visit us at Fountain View, they started asking questions. And Mark actually did a Bible study with them and gave my parents a Bible because our mom said she doesn't enjoy reading the Bible and she's afraid. She, there was a lot of fear there because she had the wrong picture of God. Right? She saw God as an authoritative figure. If you didn't do what you were supposed to do and do what was right, he was going to zap you. Right? So her whole mindset and her whole character of God was so different. And so Mike would give them Bible studies and they would ask questions. And last year, on the 26th of October, my parents were baptized as Seventh-day Adventist Christians. So. Yeah. So... I want to ask you this question really quickly. What makes a person choose to follow Jesus? It's one big thing. The realization that they have an urgent need. They have to realize that for themselves. Mm -hmm. Here's a quote, just quickly in closing. You want to read it for us? It is only when the sinner feels the need of a savior that his heart goes off to the one who can help him. When Jesus walked among men, it was the sick that wanted a physician. The poor, the afflicted, and the distressed followed after him to receive the help and comfort which they could not find elsewhere. All who feel their need of Christ and who will be as earnest and determined will receive the blessing which they crave. Isn't that amazing? So what is your earnest need? Your greatest need? Right here. It says, what promise is less fulfilled in the church than the endowment of the Holy Spirit? Here is our greatest need. A revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all of our needs. To seek this should be our very first work, right? There must be earnest effort to obtain the blessing of the Lord not because God is not willing to bestow his blessing upon us, but because we are unprepared to receive it. Our Heavenly Father is more willing to give His Holy Spirit to them that ask Him than our earthly parents to give good gifts to their children. Select the Messages, Volume 1, page 2, or 121. So let's pray. Father in Heaven, we thank You, Lord, that You have made it very plain in Your Word that the harvest is plentiful. There are hungering and thirsting souls all around us. And we are hungering and thirsting for you, Lord. We need you. We urgently need your Holy Spirit to fill our hearts and our minds. 
so that we can reach these people in this world. This world that people are telling us is unchristian and unchurched. It may look like that. And it may look like the enemy is winning. But you have all power. And you've promised us that you have all power and in heaven and on earth. And you give it to us. That we can go out and preach the gospel. That we can share it. And show love through Christ's method alone. Through mingling with people. Through showing that we really love them. And we meet their needs. And then bidding them to follow Jesus. Give us the courage. Give us those opportunities and send people to us, Lord. And give us the, the message, the confidence that we can share that message with others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take a sacrificial initiative for Christ. To download other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.